Anyone who's facing sending money between different countries need the financial system. Most of the banks or all of the banks are American-based. So at one point, your money's going to go through the US. So you're literally cut off from the world's banking system. And it, it's, it's pretty swift. I think you've got to double down when you're in their position. You've got to try and hang on to what you can. Keep making as much money as you can. Pay off as many people as you can because you might get lucky. You might be able to buy your way out of it at some point. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. One month since US sanctions were levelled against the Kinahan cartel and as the dust settles on the dramatic announcements, what exactly has changed for those named and shamed as targets? What does it even mean to be sanctioned? And who else is on the list compiled by America's most powerful? Today, I'm talking with journalist Eamon Dillon about the intricacies of a financial circuit breaker, about the growing indications that the Kinahans could be indicted in the US, and about the terrorists and narco bosses that they have joined on the toxic list of shame. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. There's been so much talk of sanctions of late between the Russian oligarchs and the members of, of the Kremlin as such and, and indeed our own Kinahan Mafia um, that I find I'm talking about them as if I know exactly what they are. And then when I question myself, I don't really. So I thought we'd bring on the brains of the operation, Eamon Dillon, and ask you. The Guardian reader amongst us. <laughs> <laughs> the French-speaking Guardian reader, don't forget. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nicola, for the, the, the build-up. Mm-hmm. Now, I was lucky enough this week, I, um, I managed to get a, a gentleman called Brian O'Toole. Um, I was speaking to him, and he actually served for, I think, something like eight years in the Office of Foreign Assets Control, which is part of the U.S. Uh, Treasury Department that looks after what they call the designations, um, the sanctions list. He was also uh, actually he he was also uh, an illicit finance uh, analyzer for the, the the Central Intelligence Agency as well. So I mean, if anyone's going to know about how these things work, it's going to be somebody like uh, um, <clears throat> Brian O'Toole. Is he Irish, Eamon, or what? No, we did discuss that, um, and 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 that actually came up about you know the whole Irish American thing was actually he felt was a, a driving force in in getting the Kinahan sanctioned. But no, he said, as he put it, that his family, as far as he could figure, they had left before the, the potato famine. Um, and so they're obviously, he's from a long line of smart Irish people by the sounds <laughs> of then, if they got out before then. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, it, like he works now for um, a think tank called the Atlantic Council. And, you know, it's all, they're all pretty serious academics, it would seem. Uh, and so I spoke to him because I wanted to kind of get into, get this idea of context about, you know, what does it mean and who, who ends up on sanctions? Because uh, I've, I've been looking through the, the U.S. Um, the Treasury Department's list, and it's just it goes on and on. I mean, like OFAC must be an incredibly busy office. I mean, like there's been several people sanctioned since the Kinahans. I mean, there's been dozens. I mean, I only went back as far as January trying to get an idea of, of you know the mm. picture of, of what was going on. And and in terms of like Kinahan type criminals, there would have been only kind of three this year, and a lot of it was aimed at. 
you know, a lot of companies that are involved in banking, that are involved in mining. And then, you know, there was some unusual bits and pieces about, you know, seven guys, some of whom were serving life sentences. You know, they were sending money to Boko Haram, which is, you know, an Islamic state linked um, terrorist organization mm. in West Africa. So there, there was all that kind of different levels. But um, Brian O'Toole kind of explained it, that it's very much at, at one level, it's a diplomatic tool. It's a way of, of saying the U.S. saying to, you know, a friendly nation or another government, we're inside with you on this. And then, of course, there's the other side of it where we're after these guys because they're doing damage to our society and our country. So therefore, we're going after them. So there was there was quite a, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a, a number of factors at work. Mm. Um, and we'll probably come back that to that later, maybe, about exactly who's on yeah, the list. Yeah, we'll come back but to I mean, those it, and we'll it, just try and stick to kind of understanding what happens or how it how it works if you get sanctioned. I don't think it's going to happen me, but so my banks are happy and everyone's good to take my credit card. But You never know. <laughs> um well, well, basically, I mean, he did explain it, that, you know, anyone who's involved in the, you know, is, is involved in interjurisdictional, you know, uh, finance, anyone who's facing sending money between different countries uh, are, need, need, the, need the financial system. And there really is, there's a choke point in that, in that most of the banks or all of the banks are American based. So at one point, your money's going to go through the US, therefore they can't touch you. So you're literally cut off from the world's banking system, and it, it's it's pretty swift. Mm. Like there's there's just in, in one sense there's no coming back from it. Your credit cards are you know are going to stop working. I, I mean, they're, they're, even even simple things like any American citizen can't do business with you. We mentioned this before. Like you can't use uh, you, you you wouldn't be able to use an American company or an American airline to to book your tickets. And if they do, they can face you know a million dollar fine. They can face up to twenty years in jail. But who, who's the onus on to know, if you say there's a huge big list there, who is the onus on to know who's been sanctioned? Like, do, do companies, big corporate companies and airlines and all this have to go on and keep abreast of this? Is there some department in big companies and in, in banks that know and, and that these red flags come up if somebody tries to do a bit of business? Look, I, I think all, all these companies, they, they will have their own, I suppose, compliance officers for everything, you know, from, mm. you know, every part of, of, of HR and, 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 you know, various governance issues. And this would just be another one of those that you would have to look out for it. I mean, if you're a big US firm, I'm sure there's a, somebody in your legal department who is part of their job is going to be figuring out you know, how do we make sure we don't end up uh, breaking a sanctions list? And I'm sure in some cases it happens and it happens accidentally, in which case they'll have to show that, look, they were doing their best to try and keep up with it all. And in this case, they were, you know, unaware that they had somehow helped somebody evade, uh, you know, uh, US sanctions. But, you, you know, it's just, it's just, it's another bit of housekeeping for the, for these firms mm. to do. And, and obviously they take it very seriously. Yeah, and definitely. So, if if a bank accepted money from any of those names, we'll, we'll just take it with our own, the Kinahan crew or their companies. They could be somebody within that corporate entity could be jailed for twenty years. I mean, that is significant. It would be worth your while to have a compliance officer, I imagine, <laughs> to avoid that. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's yeah, it's a, it's something like um, I think initial fine is twice the amount of the transaction. And then it's, it's it's up to a million dollar fine and, and up to 20 years in prison. So where is the money like? Where does the money go if it can't go through the banking system, for example, 
the Russian oligarchs' money? Are people seizing the money if it if it tries to make its way into the US or do they get, say, do the likes of the Kinahans get to keep that billion once they don't try and move it? Yeah, I mean, if, if it's in a bank account that's, you know, belonging to an American firm, it's frozen and, and it stays that way un, until until you go to court to try and try, try and get it unfrozen or the US government goes to court to, to, to get it unfrozen so they can take it. Um, and in the meantime, if you've got a, a couple of barrels of full of cash and, you know, 500 euro notes, you know, stashed somewhere in the desert, that's where they're going to stay because mm. you can't put them in a bank. You certainly can't put them in, in a... I mean, like one of the things you can't, I mean, you couldn't even put them in a, in, a, in a UAE bank at this stage because all those banks need the American financial system as well to, to carry out their own transactions. I mean, for, for instance, I think the, 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 the UAE currency is loosely linked to the dollar. So like, they need to constantly do dollar transactions. So, and if you're, if you're any kind of a business that does dollar financial transactions, you cannot do business with someone on the sanctions list or you will lose that. And that will just simply put you out of business. Mm. So, I mean, they're going, to be, they're going to have to be extremely careful. And I mean, but, you know, I'm, like there's these banks turning up all the time. And if, if you go through the sanctions list, I mean, particularly they're after a lot of the Russians at the minute. And it's literally, you know, um, stuff like Transcapital Bank. And I think there's, there's a couple of others named. And these are all banks that are seen as being used to try and evade the sanctions. So this is you know, the equivalent of, uh, you know, the, the the money or the gold that was taken out of accounts before the sanctions list kicked in and they're trying to put it back into the financial system in some way that they can access it easily. So, uh, like, uh, Brian actually described that as a kind of, a, it's a game of whack-a-mole, you know, the American arcade game where things pop up and you hit them with a hammer. And it's that there's, there's, like, that once you start sanctioning an individual or an entity, there's always, you know, they'll then follow, there'll be attempts to try and, evade that with new companies or other individuals will suddenly become the front man or the front woman. And then they have to be aware of that and then, you know, designate those, those people. Mm. And, and, and that was, that was his job. I mean, they have, he said their, their kind of legal standard is what he described as we have reason to believe. So if we have reason to believe person X is involved with the Kinahan cartel who are involved in, you know, uh, multi-million uh, dollar cocaine shipments, well, then, as far as they're concerned, that's enough to be able to, to sanction you in case you go into the U.S. course to challenge it and say, why am I being sanctioned? They pull out a file to say, this is why. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean like, there's a, there's, if you go through the list online, there is an absolute incredible number of, of people and entities, you know, everything, like all sorts of different firms and companies. And, and it's everything from, you know, some relatively small time people you know, involved in terror financing, you know, sending, you know, only hundreds of thousands of euro right up to like top international banks and, you know, giant mining companies and stuff like that who are on the sanctions list. Like it's a, it's a, it's a huge operation. Mm. And given, say, the Kinahan sanctions, there was just a number of companies mentioned, but I mean, we would, and we, we won't maybe name them just for the moment, but we would know of quite a significant amount of other companies that are suspected of being Kinahan fronts. Um, and I think Drew Harris there recently said that this is the first wave of sanctions, that there's more to more to come. So what you're saying there, that if they move the money or they try and attempt to to put it sideways, uh, that company could be sanctioned and they'll just keep trying to block them off. It's like a circuit breaker almost. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it's, it's already happened. I mean, 
the main switch has already been flicked and it's, mm. you know, the lights have gone out to some extent and now they're, they're lighting candles in the corner trying to figure out, you know, like how, how to get it up and running again. And, and, and no doubt, look, I'm sure they've prepared for this moment. It was quite possible it was going to come at some point, maybe not as big and as hard and as swift as, they, as, you know, as it did. But I'm sure there was always a backup plan. I mean, certainly if I was a, you know, a, a billionaire international drug dealer, I'd have my backup plan for the, you know, the simple mm. reason you might have to disappear quickly someday. So it's always going to happen. The famous running away money. Um, the other thing Brian O'Toole mentioned to you was the the kind of the the amount of money that has been put behind this. And there's a five million bounty on each of the heads of D- Daniel Kinahan. Christopher Jr., his brother and his father, Christopher Sr., which is 15 million. And that seems to be probably the biggest nearly that's there, is it? Um, I noticed he was saying some of the Latin American uh, drug lords would be sanctioned less than that, you know, sometimes less than that. But maybe money goes further in those countries, I suppose. And maybe they're trying to lure high end inner circle people who one million or 100,000 would mean nothing to them, but five million would. Yeah, no, I think he was he was pretty impressed by the size of the rewards. And he, I mean, he confirmed as well that, you know, the officials who were there, uh, like he, he mentions the, the, the man from from OFAC who was there as, as somebody that he knew personally. This is Greg Gatjanis uh, mm. from uh, Department of Treasury. And he was saying, like, you know, he, he's served on some very high level, um, you know, U.S. government security committees and stuff like that. And, you know, the fact that that we we had the the I think there was an, an assistant director of of special operations from the DEA, mm. which you know is it it was you know very much a, a a big show from that point of view, and he he was impressed by the size of the bounty as well, and he compared it to El Chapo's sons who are now running his cartel in Mexico while while he's serving his long sentence in the US. And there's just five million per head on them as well. So, I mean, that gives you an indication of, you know, how serious, you know, the U.S. have taken the the, the sanctions that they've they brought against the Kinnans by by designating them as, as such. I'm not even going to try and pronounce uh, El Chapo's son's names because there's four of them and they each have about five bits to the name. So we'll just say the sons, right? But they, you know, what's kind of disappointing, I think, is that, you know, the the level of publicity around Joaquim El Chapo Guzman's capture, um, you know, the the amount of money and effort that went into that, all those years that they were after him, all the surveillance that was put on him, and he kind of, you know, blew it himself by hoping to God that there was going to be a movie made about him and he wanted to meet um, people involved. But that's what led to his, his ultimate capture, I suppose. But... Um, you know, he's jailed after a big trial in Brooklyn. He's put away forever. And the Sinaloa cartel continues because the sons are left behind. And this is the problem for law enforcement when they're trying to, to tackle that trans-global element of it when they're, you know, they're dipping into other countries to try and bring out individuals who are causing damage and destruction to their own country. It's what's left behind can just keep the show on the road. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's the demand for cocaine is what's keeping it on the mm. road. I mean, like sanctions and, you know, cross-border police operations and, you know, arrests like El Chapo's or, you know, if Daniel Kinnan is arrested, I mean, the amount of people who, who want to continue using cocaine at the weekends isn't really going to change. And if it costs them an extra fiver or tenner than normal, they'll, they'll, they'll pay it. 
and 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 that's the issue. And I mean, we we saw that with the I think the European um, Centre for Drugs Monitoring that their report came out last week, and they estimate I think their median estimation of the European cocaine market was 10.5 billion euro. So that gives you a sense of just how vast, you know, the the, the industry is. Uh, but like, look, I mean, I suppose it's a way of like fracturing these cartels. You know, it's a way of reducing their power. It's it's a way of stopping one particular group getting too powerful. You know, because I mean, we, we've seen it in, you know, South America and Central America and even, I suppose, Mexico, where they threaten the actual state itself. And I mean, there's been so many kind of top level politicians in those countries who it later emerges that were, you know, really actually they had been part of the cartel themselves. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously Escobar was, you know, he's the big bogey, like, you know, who was always seen as the biggest. And, you know, since he was killed, nobody has quite emerged as that sort of, I suppose, almost like Roman emperor type figure, like, you know, who was absolutely bestrode the world of cocaine production and, you know, brought it to a whole new level. And it was, you know, it brought great uh what would you say organization ability and and mm. and uh and and drove the business like you know and 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 you know took full advantage of the demand that was out there to meet it which is what they're doing now in terms of the 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 fractured scene in Colombia has allowed for smaller gangs you know it's allowed the likes of the Kinahins to to come in and mm. and, and 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 find their way in and uh, like uh, another thing that was in that report that you know I, I thought was notable was the fact that it talked about that Dubai has become a hub for what they termed as you know for brokers. So, I mean that obviously fits into you know Daniel's self-image as this you know uh, boxing deal maker and promoter that he's obviously doing the same thing in the drugs world that he's he's this guy who can put deals together. He can get people from different parts of Europe to pool their money and mm. talk to people in, you know, whether it's Colombia or Peru and put together these, you know, multi-million euro deals to get more and more cocaine into the market here in, here in Europe. So, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of, um, and, and, and that's, and I think, and that also comes back then to the whole US sanctions list. You know, when, when you go through it, it's, it is very much like the global illicit business infrastructure. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the piping and the wiring of the underworld in, in in you know at the big level like these these are the big cables if you cut if you cut off the internet to Ireland or whatever like this is the the un, this is the underworld version of it and and that's what the US sanctions list is doing like you know it kind of it it, it goes at that that end of it like you know so we go we go and have a little look at this list and I suppose um you know it is unusual for an EU group to be part of it. Um, there haven't been a huge amount of European cartels, groupings or individuals um, on this. But just go through a few of the little, some of the interesting ones that you picked out, because as you say, there's hundreds on it. But Yeah, well, I mentioned like the, the, the interesting kind of um, cocaine smugglers. I mean, there was only two. <laughs> so so um, one of them then would be Molina Lopez. So. This guy is a Guatemalan uh, kingpin or or mob boss, and they, he he runs a a crowd called uh, Los Huitos, and they effectively control um, a part of the border between Guatemala and Mexico. It's the journey north of you know for the for the cocaine that's coming from further south, and it's and it's on its way to to North America, and they control a strategic part of the border. They're seen as they're now they're they're, they're seen as a, pretty much 
you know, um, suppliers to the Sinaloa cartel, which is the El Chapo's crowd, and the Jalisco New Generation cartel in Mexico. So, I mean, they're, they're you know, rivals to, to the Sinaloa. Um, so, so, I mean, they were moving tons and tons. I mean, they were... They were they were getting the stuff. I think it's processing labs in neighboring Colombia into Ecuador, and then it's moved north. So he he's one of the key figures. Again, you know, like I described, it's part of the infrastructure. It's the pipeline, and then um, another one is is uh, El, uh, El Gato, is, is his nickname. And again, he was supplying uh, he's supplying cocaine to the Sinaloa cartel, and and again also the Jalisco New Generation. Gato was uh, he he's he's um, Ecuadorian. Mm. So it kind of shows you that the Americans have kind of gone. They're now aiming further south as well. They're trying to get closer. They're, you know, they're getting. They're trying to target the pipeline all the way through. Mm. So it's not just the guys. You know, adjacent to their their neighborhoods in Texas or whatever. Like you know, just north of the, you know, just north of the border from Mexico. They're actually trying to get the people further down the pipeline. But other than that, then if you look at like you know the the U.S. sanctions list since January, uh, you know you're you're talking about a Russian owned. Uh, a state-owned firm that is actually the world's largest uh, diamond mining firm, uh, and they were seen as trying to help Putin and his cronies who are who are who are sanctioned. They're trying to help them evade sanctions as well. You had the world's largest dark net m- marketplace called Hydra, which again was was um, I think it's Russian-based, and they were using they were they were using it for uh, all, all sorry all the all the kind of the ransomware groups. You like the people who say. Um, hacked into the HSE, they were using Hydra like to, to, to get their Bitcoin or whatever, their ransom money. And then you had people like you had individuals and firms named that are that are linked to say North Korean companies that are involved in their ballistic missile development. And you have the same thing with Iranian missile and, and weapons development. You, you have things like uh, Russian firms that are trying to buy high tech, you know, um, bits and pieces, whether it's, I don't know, uh, microchips and stuff like that. So they're being targeted in case they're used for, for weapons. You have an arms supplier to the Burmese military junta. Now, don't forget. Now, we've only gone back. This is only March twenty fifth. We've gone so far, like you know. Mm. So it gives you an idea, like. And then we have our Boko Haram guys, who notably are in the United Arab Emirates as well. Um, you have the entire Russian parliament, presumably because they voted in favor of the war. So they've all been sanctioned. So that's very much a kind of an example how U.S. sanctions are used as a diplomatic tool. It's a way of saying this is a bad thing. You shouldn't do it. And we're going to limit to where you're going to go on holidays. I like. I mean, it goes on. You, can, you have the Sudanese Central Reserve, Central Reserve Police, and they were involved in human rights abuses. Um, then you have uh, various gold traders. There was, um, I think, he was a Belgian national. Uh, he was involved in um, shipping most of the Ugandan gold. Again, he was based in the UAE, um, and he's been sanctioned. I know he's gone in Belgian or French media, totally denying any involvement in criminality. Uh, you have people connected with the Belarusian government who have been cracking down on human rights. You have Hezbollah financiers uh, based in West Af- Africa. You know these are are, are Lebanese p- individuals. Um, you know you've, you've it, you have election officials in in Nicaragua who are involved. You know according to the US involved in in sham elections. So that gives you an idea. <laughs> and now I, I skipped quite a few in in the meantime in between. I mean. Like there's just there's there's loads of it. I mean, and it's it's like I said, OFAC have got to be an incredibly busy office. And to think that they sent over one of their top people in the middle of all this, in the middle of you know, like the 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 madness of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and still said, right, we're going to do we're going to do the Kinahans next. 
The list is all, I mean, it's all the world's worst baddies, like really, to put it plainly, and, you know, involved in terrorism and political political terrorism as well. And, you know, wh- what are, in the name of God, are our lads doing in the middle of it? I mean, what did they do that the US want them? Is it, is it possible that they had been... Um, trying to move into the US market as well as the European? Or is it simply because of the boxing and because Kinahan put himself out there and pushed into the US? I think it's possibly all those factors. Um, it, it, but I, I know Brian O'Toole very much mentioned, like he seemed to think that this was very much a victory for Irish diplomatic soft power. You know, I th- he, he, more, he put it to me like, you know, when you have somebody in the White House who identifies himself as Irish and, the National Security Advisor has a name, Sullivan, that the Irish-American link has come in and has come to play. And the Irish diplomats have, have very much, you know, scored a victory here in persuading the Americans, like, you, look, you've got you to gotta look at these guys. Now, I think if, if you tie in that, and if you look at, you know, what Drew Harris said on Friday in terms of, like, you know, a case may take place outside the country, it's starting to look very much like the guards have built a case against the Kinnahans but they can't prosecute it because the crimes have happened outside of our jurisdiction. But it's quite possible, and this was, you know, and this speculation was, I suppose, agreed with by, by Brian, who said that it wouldn't be unusual that uh, a secret indictment has already been brought against people like the Kinnans when they're sanctioned. It would not be unusual, and it does happen, and it certainly happened in the case of, of Don Dario, where he was sanctioned, and then it emerged a week earlier he'd been indicted in San Diego for cocaine trafficking and lots of other various crimes. So when you say, like, what have the Kinnans done to deserve this, like, to get the attention of the Americans, you have to give credit, I think, to, to the guards and then to our own, I, I suppose, you know, our own diplomats and our own politicians that they have decided to, like, we need to bring this to attention that, you know, these guys have, have killed you know, whatever it is, is 17 to 20 people. You know, they brought mayhem, like, to the to the streets of North Inner City, Dublin. I mean, absolute terror. When you, you remember back, like, just whenever it was, like, 2017, probably at its height, you know, that it was a regular sight driving into, into Tauber Street to see, you know, the armed response unit on the street just doing checkpoints. Like, it was, it was, it was as close as you can get to... You, you, you know, seeing that sort of narco-terrorism at work, I know it's, it doesn't really compare to, to what went on in, in South and Central America, but, you know, we got a little taste of it, that this is what happens when somebody thinks they're so powerful that they can challenge the power of the state and put put it up to society. So I think our our, our guys and girls in, in, in uh, Leinster House got their skates on. I think the guards have, you know, have been working hard. Like, I mean, we know we've, we've spoken about this before and you've spoken about it with Niall as well, about, you know, how many of the, the you know, Kinahan linked people are now serving time in jail. So we know all that work has been done. Mm. But whether or not, you know, there's a case for Daniel Kinahan to answer in Ireland, we, we, you know, we don't know and it's starting to look like that there might be a better case for him to answer outside of these borders. And if the Americans are putting up five million, I think the answer to that is they have evidence and they're going to bring him to justice. Yeah, I think actually, and I'm not speaking from, you know, exact knowledge on this, but more maybe informed speculation on it. I do think that we would have cases against one or two individuals, but I don't think we've cases against them all. And I think that's the problem. And I think if we brought back one or two individuals 
because we were going to leave behind too many to continue the operation. And while you might have had the likes of possibly Daniel Kinahan here, and we know that Sean McGovern is certainly wanted for murder, there's a warrant out for his arrest, um, we mightn't have had cases, I think, in particular against Christy Kinahan Sr. because he's too long gone and he has been very clever in his operations and he hasn't set foot into Ireland in a, in a long, long time. And that would be the problem because what is the head of the snake? Is the head of the snake Daniel Kinahan or is it really his father? And when you look at the information that came from the US uh, sanctions, I think... Uh, you know, I would be weighing on saying it is the father. I think he is the absolute brains behind the operation. I think Daniel Kinahan has desperately tried to be him and to set up maybe even more than he ever did. I think he made mistakes with the boxing. Um, but I think ultimately to bring them to the US, you could take down the whole operation there uh, and coupling that with the sanctions and whatever more sanctions there have to come. Like that is their worst nightmare there's no doubt. I mean, like, you know, I mean, like the, the the way the Americans sentence people, like, you know, compared to Europe would be extremely harsh. Um, you know, you're, you're talking that a prosecutor will go in looking for, a, you know, a, a 35 to 50 year sentence, which, you know, when you're when you're already in your 60s is pretty much a, a, a you know, it's a life sentence. So, I mean, they, they don't they don't do things by halves. And I think the, the five million is going to certainly make some people think twice. You, you know about trying to back them up or or mm. you know and, and and like it adds another layer of paranoia and, and insecurity for them as well so if they're if they're trying to make moves to execute their escape plans it's it's increasingly dis- difficult i mean i suppose that's one of the things about the u.s sanctions it, like it, while it might not put you out of business it certainly shrinks your world mm. um and, and certainly i think with the kinahans is that it's going to shrink it a lot quicker than say for instance, the Ecuadorians or the Guatemalan guys who are recently sanctioned because, I mean, to some extent, they're out in the field. They control they control territory. I mean, they're still the number one guy. They can walk around in their home county or their home province and they don't have to put their hand in their pocket. They just take over this hotel, live there, or, you know, and mm. they, there's there's no problem. They can move about. But once they once they step outside their, their fiefdom, like, you know, they're, they're finished in that, in that sense. Whereas... I think with the Kinnahans as this kind of more modern, uh, I suppose, gang, you know, like who, who are almost like a an international business organization that, you know, can operate in the UAE or if they're going to go to one of the Central Asian republics or whatever, that it, it really limits how much how much they can do, how much they can move. And it just puts a whole new layer of costs and they'll have to have a whole new layer of other people to do stuff for them that one time they maybe had, you know, been in place to be able to do it themselves. So it makes life difficult for them. Mm. And I, I think that, I mean, if, if they were all arrested tomorrow and, you know, stuck in a, in Terre Haute or whatever in, in the U S I don't think there'd be one minute where there'll be any less cocaine on the streets of Dublin. We know that, um, George Mitchell, you know, mm. Mr. Big, all these, all these characters, are, you know, they're poised. I mean, they're, they're, they're plugged into the same system. Uh, and, and they're, you know, they're, there's, there's some guy that we've never heard of, you know, in the, U, in the UK or wherever in Spain is suddenly going to go, oh, there's a market. I can start moving stuff now. The Kinahans are gone. And, you know, and the network that is there, it just, 
you know, the money's still going to flow. It's just going to end up in a different place. It's interesting when you talk about those European drugs reports, because time and again, each time they come out, they not only tell us the value of the cocaine market, but they also tell us it's growing and it hasn't reached saturation point and it's it's just getting bigger and bigger all the time. We live in a crazy world, really, don't we? I mean, I think just to say about that US prison system, the other thing about it is it's notoriously dangerous. Whitey Bulger was at the end of his 80s, maybe 87, when he was beaten to death in his wheelchair. Um, it is really a frightening prospect for people who have, you know, lived it up for so long. And, um, you know, it's it's it would make you think that maybe coming back here in 25 years in Port Leash wouldn't be so bad. Well, there is that. I mean, I suppose the likes of Christie Senior has done a fair bit of um, jail in his time between Ireland, Holland, Belgium, you know, a, a short stretch in, in Spain as well. And we don't even know he could have ended up in prison somewhere else for a short stretch. I think Daniel obviously might find it a bit harder, OK, um, never having... Mm. I, I think he spent a night or two in, in police custody in Ireland in these very early days, but that's about it. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 um, it's an interesting prospect. Like, you know, I mean, there's no way I mean, there's no way he's going to go quietly. I mean, you know, th there's too much at stake. I mean, there really is. I mean, you know, why, gi why give it up at this stage now? Because, you know, you, you just got to keep going. Yeah. I mean. I think you've got to double down when you're in their position. You've got to try and hang on to what you can, keep making as much money as you can, pay off as many people as you can, because, you know, you might get lucky. You might be able to buy your way out of it at some point. So you, know, you never know who you'll be able to give up instead of instead of you. Your only option is to keep going, absolutely. Um, I suppose we'll finish with a little word of warning to Thomas and Fergus that maybe they should just double-check that um, the subscriptions on the Sunday World aren't being funded from anybody in the UAE who are perhaps on, on US sanctions because €1 million Euro or 20 years in prison, I don't think the boys would be too happy with having to do that. Hmm. <laughs> Hopefully now, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll they'll be using legitimate credit cards if they're subscribing well, to maybe, the, the Sunday maybe World. Maybe it'll be the subscriptions people. Actually, I'll just throw that out there anyway, and just set off a wave of panic across anyway, media. It won't be you or me going to jail anyway, Nicola. That's the main thing. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. All right, Eamon Dylan. Thanks a million. No worries. You're welcome, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.